0: This talk was given by Susan Taikyo-Gilman at the Zen Center of New York City. Taikyo is a senior monastic in the Mountains and Rivers Order and is currently serving as the Assistant Training Coordinator. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at mm ZMM.org. Thank you for listening. Thank you all for coming today, and thank you, Hojin Sensei, for inviting me to give this talk. A push on the on the on the diving board. Um, it's so good to be down here at the temple. I I started practicing when I lived in Brooklyn. Uh, it was before this, just before this place was bought, actually. And there were a bunch of us in Brooklyn that would go in and to the place on 23rd Street regularly, so it is so good to um, be practicing here with you today. And welcome everybody who's brand new. Um, It's great. Uh, Welcome to your journey here uh, with this Sangha and, um, um, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll be speaking on the um, Paramitas today. Um, particularly Dāna-paramita, which is the first of the six. It's giving um, Dāna-paramita. And paramita is a Buddhist term that's often translated as perfection. So these are known as the uh, the, the perfections, the six perfections. And in Sanskrit, this literally means, um, paramita means gone beyond, or having reached the other shore, which for me was always quite a puzzle. Um, Like, what does it mean to go beyond anything? Um, Am I leaving it behind? The perfection in this case um, is the perfection of of giving and leaving behind um, the suffering that's not giving. Let's say stinginess and uh, um, greed, particularly greed. and perfection was always a kind of edgy term for me because it it kind of implied that, um, you know, I'm not perfect, which was like terrible, a um, bit of a perfectionist. I uh, didn't really realize that that was um, a problem, I think, um, until I saw how much I was clinging to this ideal of like what I wasn't or would never be and... Um, you know, really was tapping into that insufficiency inside. So uh, what does it really mean to practice this? Um, A perfection. It's kind of edgy. Sheng Yen, uh, who's a Chan teacher, he said that the Paramitas refer to transcendence um, through our efforts in this very life. And the transcendence in this case is uh, suffering. He says transcendence means to become free from mental afflictions, the causes of suffering, and from suffering itself. The true practice of the paramitas is to be free from self-attachment and self-cherishing. And I would put in there self-centeredness, which I often find is kind of underneath that, the centering of me in the universe. So to transcend these qualities, um, the poisons, uh, the three poisons we speak of, greed and anger and ignorance, Um, to transcend them, to let them go, that's the crossing over that we practice. Um, These qualities of greed, anger, and ignorance, they're also called kleshas. Um, They're three of many kleshas. There are nice long lists of them. And Trungpa Rinpoche said these kleshas are properties that dull the mind and are the basis for all unwholesome actions. So speaking to what the what the mind does with these poisons, they, they feed our actions and, uh, are the basis of all unwholesome actions in the world. So this is about our freedom from our own, uh, created suffering, these mental afflictions, and to, um, what we say, liberate them, you know, let them go, let them be, cross over to, uh, freedom, that's the Buddha path. And Master Sheng Yan also says that really all the core Buddhist teachings are paramitas, like the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path, because these are practices uh, that help us travel and stay on, stay on course. And I think of that as finding our inner guidance, you know, our, our intuitive connection with what's, what's good. And the Paramitas, they emerged on the scene of Buddhism kind of after the Buddha's initial teachings. There was this time in India where there were these great centers of learning, and lots of Buddhists would kind of, you know, study the teachings and debate and develop, and a school called the Mahayana came out of that, uh, that time. And the Paramitas are one of the Mahayana teachings. And it's through these teachings that the Heart Sutra that we chanted today, the Paramita. Heart Sutra came, and paramita, in that case, is wisdom, prajna, uh, one of the six. And that line, avalokitasvara bodhisattva, doing deep prajna paramita, clearly saw the emptiness of all, all things, thus completely relieving misfortune and pain. So this liberation practice, it's also kind of like breaking these old patterns of suffering. The... Uh, the barriers, barriers in our mind. And um, I have a lot here about the bodhisattva ideal, but I I may just kind of like skim over this a little bit. Um, Basically, the bodhisattva is one who recognizes that self and other are actually one thing, one reality, and that the truth of all reality is that we're interdependent, we're completely dependent on this earth, The elements, by the way, whoever thought to put water here, bless you, thank you, (laughs) very helpful, and um, uh, there's also this term in interdependence uh, called co-arising, that one thing arises and another arises, one thing ceases and another ceases, and uh, this is, um, I don't know, I find it really amazing, and something that I feel like I've been hesitant to ask questions about. Asking questions is actually a really important part of practice too, because like, um, I'd realized that I, I'm such a perfectionist, I don't even want to ask a question I don't already know the answer to, which is like crazy. So I'm trying to work with that. And in this co-arising suffering, you know, the world and nirvana or the crossing over are really one thing, they're one reality. And so the bodhisattva stays in the world to make that reality known and clear. So dana paramita, the perfection of giving, it's one of uh, six in the Mahayana, uh, which is giving morality, or the precepts, joyful effort, patience, meditation, and wisdom. And in the Theravadan tradition, there are four more. Um, And each one of these contains all the others like there's a perfection of giving, perfection of morality, a morality of giving, a wisdom of giving, so it's kind of interesting in that sense. And Master Shenyan talked about two types of giving. There's the ordinary giving and the kind of perfected giving. Um, you know, an ordinary giving is like an exchange. You're kind of getting something, or you're giving something so you'll feel better maybe. And then there's the other kind of giving, which is selfless, which is just kind of a perfect giving with no thought of reward or punishment or um, no hindrance in the mind. And it kind of makes sense that giving without thought of reward is, is freedom, really, because it's not attached to anything in us. And I, I remembered... Um, you remember when fleece scarves were like just sort of started coming about and they were just so soft and I wanted one and I got this bright red fleece scarf and had it wrapped around me. I think it was it was probably the first day I was wearing it and I was it was like February and I was somewhere in upper Manhattan and across the street and suddenly there's this woman sitting on the ground with a cup and she's skinny and she looks like you know she's on her way to the hospital soon. I mean she was just And she was like, like many people, not really well dressed for the weather. And I just touched my scarf and I took it off. And I said, would you like this? And she said, oh. And I just wrapped it around her neck. And she said, thank you. And I just walked on. And there was a part of me that was saying like, what what are you doing? That was your scarf. That was your beautiful scarf. I was like, well, it wasn't mine, actually. So giving with no thought of, with no thought. Like, you ever been with a baby that just wants to hand you basically anything that they have, it's like that. And Lama Zopa, who I also um, wrote a wonderful book on on the Paramitas, um, a Tibetan teacher, uh, calls giving charity and says, charity is what we do with our minds like the four immeasurables, we may offer something, you know, may all beings be free from suffering and the root of suffering. Um, we're offering that in that moment with our minds. It's, it's, it's powerful beyond what we could imagine, beyond what we could ever know, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the root of all good in that intention that we have. You know, just sort of, shh, there it is. You know? It's your mind. It's your body mind. Uh, so things we can give with our mind, you know, our good wishes, our attentiveness, our appreciation. And other things that we give with our mind are like our indifference, criticism, judging, maligning, you know, giving. It's always what we're doing with our minds. And uh, Reb Anderson is also a Zen teacher who uh, also wrote on the Paramitas, and he and Lama Zopa also distinguished three types of giving. There's the giving of material things, like that scarf. There's giving of fearlessness. And there's giving of the Dharma. And Lama Zopa says, giving of material things, even the whole body without hesitation, is important without stinginess. He said, worldly clinging mind blocks our ability to give, but giving is actually quite natural. And there's um, a quote I found from from Dogen um, in the Bodhisattva's Four Methods of Guidance that I've always loved, and it's a little strange, so bear with me. A king gave his beard as medicine to cure his retainer's disease. A child offered sand to Buddha and became King Ashoka in a later birth. They were not greedy for reward, but only shared what they could. To launch a boat or build a bridge is an act of giving. If you study giving closely, you will see that to accept a body and to give up the body are both giving. Making a living and producing things can be nothing other than giving. To leave flowers to the wind, to leave birds to the seasons are also acts of giving. So when giving is what we do with our minds, it doesn't have to be like a monetary thing of really any value to the, the sort of you know valuing world. And no doubt, money helps, um, but no amount of money can actually fix the world. I think we all know that, but sometimes money is, is helpful. Um, but changing minds, that's what changed the world. That's always what's changed the world. And when we give to that, we're giving, giving to those changes. And Lama Zopa told this story of his home village. He was from um, a very poor village in Nepal with a lot of stealing. People were very poor, so people even stole potatoes from each other. And people would, like, try and hide their potatoes. They'd put them in pots and bury them, and people would, like, dig them up and steal The potatoes. So what people would do is go to the monasteries. they go to the monastics and and ask the monks to pray for the thieves. And I I really love this, you know, that to pray that the thief um, enjoys the potatoes, to pray that the potatoes were actually given as a gift. Imagine that what was stolen was actually, I've actually given that to you as a gift, you know, with the mind. And, um, and to pray that they are completely satisfied by that. You know, in college, when my camera was stolen, I was not praying that, yeah, I was not giving that as a gift. And I was reflecting on that, like, how far I was from even being able to give it as a gift. I was just, I was pissed. I didn't have money. It was my camera. I think it was actually my sister's camera. So I was like, um, you know, but, I, but I, I did this as a kind of mind experiment. Okay, so may they take beautiful pictures. May this bring joy. Um, it's kind of edgy, but it shifts the mind of the person, me, who lost my thing, um, and maybe it shifts the minds of others. And Lama Zopa says, with a caring mind, We are glad even that a thief has gotten what they need. It matters so much. In in Tibetan practice, there's a practice called Chud that was uh, developed by Maching Labdron, who was a female teacher in the, I think, 11th century. And in that practice, practitioners go to a very scary place like a um, cemetery, although that could be anywhere. It could be just be your own scary place in your own mind. And they visualize their body your whole body becoming this big soup, this big pot, and it becomes nectar. And when the whole body has been kind of dissolved into nectar, um, the practitioner, you, calls on all the Buddhas and bodhisattvas, the great beings, and all the demons in a neighborhood to come and and feast and um, partake of this offering. And they come, you visualize them coming and, you know, putting their little mouths down at the bowl and just taking it in, and partaking of this nectar until they're completely satisfied. And you could even see them transform their bodies into some other type of being, a beneficial being. And Macig said, what we call demons are not materially existing individuals with huge forms frightening and terrifying anyone who sees them. A demon means anything which hinders liberation. So, anything stinginess, um, separation, any kind of thing like that. Yeah. Are we offering what's needed? Settling. The second kind of giving um, is giving fearlessness. And uh, I'll just mention Lama Zopa had a lot to say about animal liberation in this chapter. For those of you who are, like, into animal liberation, it was beautiful. I'm not going to take that up right now, but I'm going to speak about a different kind of fearlessness. The fearlessness of the bodhisattva. That really takes courage to step forward. And this is where self-study and reflection are really important, to know what's in your mind. Um, to see where there's fear, but to step forward anyway. Um, since I was very young, I've been really interested in Martin Luther King's nonviolent direct action as as a way of making change in the world, of a um, an uh, an act of giving, a very profound act of giving, and I came across these four. Um, Things to do in preparation that were part of the training for um, nonviolent action. First is to understand the issue completely. Second, to understand the injustice that's created within that policy or practice. Third, clarify your ultimate goal. Keep your eyes on the prize, you know, what you're aiming for. And then you need to purify yourself to tame that aggressor within. So nothing can shake you into reacting. Um, creating violence um, or suffering emotionally from that violence. And it's kind of like, you know, this is, how, this is how people are able to step forward, you know, really know your mind. And so I, I came up with that question, what is, what is it to purify yourself, really? How are we doing that with zazen, you know? We're settling the body first. Settling the breath. Getting good counsel from others, from teachers and friends. Um, what's needed. Yesterday, there was a retreat here called the um, ekosattva uh, Retreat. <laughs> Hopefully the first of, of many. And we spent the first half of the day uh, settling our bodies. Um, resourcing, it's called, I think that's the phrase these days, and calming our nervous systems down. And why? Because the world is so out of whack, and we are too. There's a lot of um, pressure, you know, around the environment, around um, the divisiveness that we see all over the place, the, um, the unknown. And part of that confusion is that our sense of place uh, and of groundedness and belonging is shaky. It's shaky. So we turn inward when we do zazen, and we um, can address fear. We can address um, all the kleshas, and we can settle. We can really settle. You know she's reliable. She's always going to hold us. And this is so that we can give. We can give fearlessly. One of the things that was mentioned yesterday, uh, Chiku was talking about the mindful rebels who are going to different corporate sites and sitting zazen. So they're going to these centers of commerce that are contributing to global warming, and they're just sitting down and meditating. So they are resourcing, settling, offering their calm bodies to that whole environment. It's very, I'm sure, disorienting to some people who are walking by and like, why are these people sitting on the sidewalk? So touching in with what it is to be fearless, it's a heart practice. Heart. Sorry, body-mind no hindrance in the mind, no hindrance, therefore no fear. Thus, the Bodhisattva lives, prajna paramita. And it doesn't mean that we don't feel like hesitation or f- fear. It's just we don't make a big deal out of it when we're practicing that. And we can all do this. And that wish to be of benefit and give wholeheartedly, keeping that in, you know, foremost in my mind, I find is really helpful. Um, getting my self-centeredness off-center, like giving to others, giving. And so much of that self-consciousness or, you know, self-involvement, it's very familiar. These are, these are patterns that we have developed, and they're useful. So you're not going to totally throw it out the window. You, you need to know what you need and where you are. But often we just have fear because the outcome is not known. We don't really know what's going to happen if we just let things be, if we step forward and take a step. And particularly for those of you who are newer, I mean, practice is what allows us to take the Dharma seriously and put ourselves in that Buddha seat, you know, to really ask and study that's, that gives us choice in, in how we act in the world. Um, we can build bridges, or we can burn them down. We all know that. And nothing is really fixed or permanent. So touching in, just touching into your wisdom, that's extremely important and helpful. Um, yeah, I wrote this note. You know, selflessness is something frightening, but it's interesting, too. Like, who is having these thoughts? I don't know if that's, you know, something you've kind of reflected on. What is consciousness? You know, being, what's mindful? You know, what is this mind full of? And how am I tapping in? And then who's experiencing this rest, really? What is stillness? You know, blood is flowing, you're breathing, what's still? um really i was just looking at the clock okay Uh, (laughs) i want to mention um this book by uh, pamela ayo Yatunde that i love called casting indra's net fostering spiritual kinship and community it's i think it's a handbook for deep cultural change um from our divisive world that we're living in, which she describes so aptly, to beloved community. And there's a chapter called Attending to Others. Actually, the chapter's called Beyond the Golden Rule, Treating Others as They Should Be Treated. And she names two aspects of attending to others. First, cultivate non-anxious presence. Zazen, right, settle. It's the foundation. Um, it's the best gift you can give, really. Your settled body. I think Resma Menakum talks about this quite a bit. So finding time to calm yourself, that's really a critical, important part of being a Bodhisattva. Just find that time to uh, settle so that you can offer yourself to the world. And then the second part is, I'm just going to bring it as a list. It's called practice deep perception. This is kind of a list of how to give fearlessness to others. Listen deeply for existential angst. Affirm emotional experience. Validate rather than judge. Encourage and inspire. Reflect with bright eyes and a smile. Share appreciation. Share blessings for a fortunate future. Encourage wisdom teachings like Buddhism, like Christianity, like Islam. She just brings it all in and warn against the dangers of engaging in violence. And Joseph Goldstein speaks about giving as brightening the mind. You know, it's like, ah. Oh, bring that. Bring that. Ah. Oh, In some ways I feel like the essential practice is settling, calming the mind, calming the breath. And in that moment of selfless giving, it's like that's perfect. That's like there's nothing to it. It's just giving. So I really appreciated the ekosattva retreat because um I get very jarred by reading the news. When I read stories like, will a giant parasol in space save the planet? Uh, many of you probably saw that. I'm like, ah. And, you know, I, I can take up the dharma and see that, okay, these actions in the world, they are, they are not fixed. They are changing. They're impermanent. They're empty. Um, they've come into being with a certain energy, I can start to look at them in a different way, like, okay, a giant parasol in space, because I read the article. It's not a terrible idea. It's just one of many ideas to counteract the devastation of global warming right now. It's a bodhisattva activity. Um, you know, the recent lifting of protection on wetland, wetlands, it's terrible, but it's also mobilizing a very strong respo- response. Um, to counter the ruling, which is clearly be based on greed and ignorance. So, you know, look deeper. Ah. You know, I feel my judgments and constriction, and so keep returning. You know, look a little deeper. Ah. Okay, Larry Ward, a senior Dharma teacher in the Thich Nhat Hanh lineage, a teaching of his was brought into the Ikha retreat yesterday, um, calls our our era the time of the apocalypse moon. You know, it's what's rising, it's bright in the sky, but he uh, refers to apocalypse as the destruction of what has been known and the revelation of what is new and previously unknown. That's our time. And in that unknowing, he encourages us to take it up as a daily practice, you know, really step into the unknown and to see it, as he says, with awe, wonder, and mystery of what in our time can come into being. The third method of giving is giving the Dharma. And in short, so even for those of you who just came here today, you know, when you're sitting in a coffee shop and you're just sort of staring out the window and somebody says, what would you do over your weekend? You know, just say, well, I went to this place and I learned to meditate. And they might say, like, oh, what is that? And you're like, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. But, you know, I breathe in. I breathe out. Count my breath. Like, yeah, but, like, every now and then it felt like, okay, something to this. You know, you're giving the Dharma. So nourish that, you know, in yourself. A. Um, hey, Dogen, again, on giving, um, it's a quote I love. Not only should you make an effort to give, but also be mindful of every opportunity to give. You are born into this present life because you originally embodied the benefit of giving. It's because of giving that this very life has come into being. with our minds. So I want to offer this poet to you all. This poet's name is uh, Mahmoud Darwash. Um, and if you don't know him, I, uh, I invite you to, to find his work. He was a great Palestinian poet, is very much a poet of our time. Uh, think of others. As you prepare your breakfast, think of others. Do not forget the pigeon's food. As you conduct your wars, think of others. Do not forget those who seek peace. As you pay your water bill, think of others, those who are nursed by clouds. As you return home to your home, think of others. Do not forget the people of the camps. As you sleep and count the stars, think of others, those who have nowhere to sleep. As you express yourself in metaphor, think of others, those who have lost the right to speak. As you think of others far away, think of yourself. Say, if only I were a candle in the dark. So give that light you know give your light thanks so much for listening for meditation supplies such as cushions incense liturgical instruments dharma books and more visit monasterystore.org support for your spiritual practice at home